This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey, backpackers, Bird Shooter here. And tonight on the podcast, Samantha Bodie joins us to talk about her 338-mile and 65-day hike along the Los Angeles Aqueduct. In the show, we talk about this unique and rarely attempted route, some of the challenges that Samantha faced, how the ranchers, Native Americans, and Los Angeles water personnel viewed the hike, and surprisingly, her occasional encounter with Pacific Crest Trail thru-hikers on her journey. Since the 1950s, Southern California has been growing at an explosive rate, and this podcast is about LA's ever-expanding need for water and getting water to the southern part of the state as much as it is about backpacking. So here's episode 83. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Bird Shooter, and I'd like to welcome Samantha Bodie to the show. She is the director and producer of The Longest Straw, which details her backpacking trip along the Los Angeles Aqueduct, which transports water 338 miles from the mountains in Northern California to the city of Los Angeles. Samantha, welcome to the show. Oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. I watched. I actually watched your film a couple times. Um, wanted to ask you first, though, I think you mentioned in the show that you grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania. Is that correct? That is correct, and that's actually currently where I am right now. Okay, and what got you out to California? Um, so I went to school in Boston uh, to Emerson College, and they do a program where you can do your last semester abroad, quote-unquote abroad, in Los Angeles. And so I went out to Los Angeles and uh, got an internship there at a production company, and wasn't planning on staying in Los Angeles, but then the production company that I was interning with hired me, and so I stayed out there. I'm sure that Southern California weather sucked you in quickly. Yeah, you know, it definitely did. It did not, uh, it didn't hurt at all, but also it's like, Los Angeles is also a very weird city because it's a bookend city. Have you ever heard of that terminology? Uh, I have, but I don't recall what that means exactly. Bring it back to me. So it's like a bookend city means it's really pretty at dawn and it's really pretty at dusk. But then in the middle, it's like flat light. It's so hot. Your eyeballs hurt because everything is so bright. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. I like the assessment there. And so, and how long did you stay in LA um, uh, after you left the Northeast? Um, I've been, I'm still technically living there. I'm only um, on the East coast right now because of the pandemic, but um, I, uh, I still live there, and I've lived there since 2008, so 13 years. Oh, okay, so a long time. I got you. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. That's a long time. All righty. You get to L.A., and I, were you familiar with the aqueduct at all before you got out there? Because that's essentially the, the centerpiece of your whole, your whole story, right? No, I had no idea where the Los Angeles water came from, and it was, like, very perplexing to me because, you know, on the East Coast, it's, water is everywhere, basically. Um, 
And so like I grew up in Northeast Pennsylvania and I grew up on a water well. So I knew exactly where my water came from. And um, so moving out to Los Angeles and like, I went and I asked people where the water came from and no one could really tell me where it came from. No one was exactly sure, um, which was kind of concerning to me. because I was like, well, what happens if like all of this water just goes away? Like, where do we go to get water? Because, you know, you look at the LA river and it's just like this tiny trickle most of the year. <laughs> You're like, well, that can't be where the water comes from. So I have no idea. And um, so I actually, when I was up on a camping trip with some friends to Mono Lake, we were camping and I saw a DWP truck. And I was like, what the heck? Why is LA DWP all the way up here? And so I went into the Mono Lake County uh, Committee bookstore and I was like, yo, do you guys know that there's DWP trucks driving up, uh, driving out there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we definitely know that they're there. <laughs> yeah, I, I could like, see, I could see the locals are very familiar, right? But that would shock you if you're from LA. Yeah, I know, and it's like, it, and she, the woman behind the counter, was like, "Okay, honey, sit down. We have to have a talk because <laughs> right. not new information." And so she brings out this map and she shows me basically this whole line leading from the Mono Basin all the way down to Los Angeles. And that was the aqueduct. I was like, whoa, what? This is crazy. Yeah, it's a long way. Yeah. And so I went back and I told my friends, um, well, I asked them all if they knew about the aqueduct. Nobody did. And I was like, well, uh, this is really important. We should know about this. And, you know, you know, most people would just kind of blew me off. Um, cause there's a lot of things to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of take water for granted. I hear you. People aren't thinking about water every day. Yeah, exactly. Until, until they don't have it. Right. Right. There's an abundance for sure. Um, but you know, now, and I'm, I don't know the exact thing behind all of this and I don't know how the stock market works at all. But uh, they're starting to trade water futures on the stock market now. Hmm. Interesting. It is a precious resource, I guess, in California. So, you know, precious yeah. resources get traded. That's how we know it's getting bad is because they're starting to trade water futures on the stock market. Hey, that is interesting. And one thing you don't know about me, actually, Samantha, I worked in the water treatment industry for six years. I worked in a sales job, a chemical guy. Um, but I called on the city of Los Angeles and, and traveled all over California. So I'm actually pretty familiar with the water departments um, and, and to some degree the Los Angeles water department. So just to put it out there, uh, that, that made this even more interesting for me to talk to you. Um, yeah. But this is a backpacking podcast. You know, you had a very interesting uh, journey up the aqueduct. Um, I, I'm, you know, it's just maybe a starting question. Curious to ask you, how was it like you thought it would be? And I'm sure there's a million ways that, that it was different than you thought it'd be. So would love to get your take on that one. I actually had no, you know, I was really fortunate that nothing too crazy happened to me while I was out there because I was woefully underprepared. Um, and I did not know any of the environments that I was going to be coming up against whatsoever because I, I, uh, forged my route on Google earth. And I literally just went and put waypoints in Google Earth and then just drew lines between them. Okay. <laughs> the aqueduct. Um, and luckily, you know, the, the aqueduct, because it is 
a, a, a utility and it's like it has infrastructure, there's roads that run along it, like service roads and stuff like that. So it wasn't too hard to follow. Um, but yeah, so that's how it was different. Let's see how it what, how it was as I expected. Um, long, I'm sure. I'm sure you expected it to be a long journey because uh, when you do, what, 350 miles almost, that's a long way. Yeah, it was a long way, and I expected it to be lonely. I, um, by nature, I'm a very anxious person, so I expected it to be horrific in that arena. Um, I mean, you have some, you had some good experiences on the way, and we're going to talk about those in a minute, so I'll, I'll save those. But I, I am curious, you said you'd obviously been camping before. Had you done a lot of backpacking before you set out on this trip? No. Um, the only thing I had done was uh, a three-day back, no, not even three days, two-day backpacking trip to Phantom Ranch in uh, uh, Grand Canyon. Yeah, it's a great place, though. Good, good call on, good call on your trip there. It was a good time. It was a good time. We had a, yeah. we had a lot of fun. Um, and then like one night backpacking trips, quote unquote backpacking trips in the Angeles National Forest, uh, but nothing really this intense where I would literally be living out of my backpack you know i think there's a difference between like a backpacking trip and living out of your backpack yeah that's fair yeah not 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 quite the same so was it was it harder than you thought it would be yeah like significantly harder i think you might actually touch on that in the in the the film yeah it was definitely significantly harder than i thought it would be um i under i under underestimated my no I overestimated my strength and I overestimated my willpower <laughs> and I overestimated my people skills. Okay. Wow. That's a, that's a combo. I, I was just going to guess like, man, the heat must've been brutal, but I mean, we can talk about that in a second, but yeah. it didn't, didn't factor in those other things actually, <laughs> especially the people skills. Well, because, uh, you know, a lot of these people that I was, that were hiking with me, I didn't really know them before they decided to hike with me. Like, the one guy, Jonathan, I had never met before in my life. He just saw us on Facebook and was like, hey, can I join you for a week? This sounds really interesting. Now, now was this the PCT hiker or that was another guy? This was a different guy that went with me through the desert. You know what? Let's save this because I, I, I have all those questions teed up for you. Okay, um, but let's Can we give the listeners a little background, first of all, on the uh, Los Angeles Aqueduct? Because if you're not from California, and even if you're from California, you, you probably don't know much about it. You want to just give some quick history, like uh, when it was built, why, that sort of thing? Yeah. So um, back at the early 20th century, Los Angeles was growing exponentially. And the where, where the water came from then was the L.A. River. And then the L.A. River was channelized through um, canals called the Zandra Madre. And um, so the water was fed from there. Like the people of Los Angeles were the water was coming from there. And soon enough, the city was growing and it was outgrowing that water supply. And so William Mulholland, who was a ditch digger and he worked his way up the ranks and became like a Zonda Madre um, supervisor, like a channel supervisor. He, he saw that there was a need. And so he, um, he and this guy, Freddie, even went up to the Owens Valley and saw that there was a lot of water there that could be channeled down to the city of Los Angeles. Um, 
there are some shady things that happened where at the same time, I think Roosevelt, don't quote me on that, I think it was Roosevelt, was also planning on trying to tap the Owens Valley water for a federal water project, much like the water project that's already on the other side of the of the Sierra, okay. the um, California aqueduct. Uh, it was a federal water project that would have fed a bunch of ranches in the Owens Valley to make it into an agricultural hub. So William, William Mulholland and Frederick Eaton went up to the Owens Valley and they posed as federal agents hmm. to go and try to buy the parcels of land because whoever owns the land in California owns the water. Okay. And so they went up there and bought up pieces of land and so therefore got the water rights secured for the city of Los Angeles. Wow, interesting. And it goes way up there too. I mean, if you look at your map, which you show on the film, it's amazing how far up these water rights go. Yeah, they um, basically go all the way up through Inyo County. And then um, Inyo County is where kind of like the ownership stops because then we get into the um, Mono Basin uh, Preserve. Okay. So wait, talk about start and end for just the listeners here. So you're, you know, you're not quite 400 miles, but where does it go start to end? So it starts, the water comes from, uh, the, there's four rivers that feed into the Mono Lake that go into the aqueduct at Lee Vining. So that's in like up near Mono Lake. Okay. Those, the, the, that aqueduct then brings that water down into the Owens River. And then the Owens River goes to um, what they call the Skinny Gates at near like Big Pine area. And it splits off. It goes, part of it goes to the Owens River and then the rest goes into the aqueduct. And the aqueduct comes down from Big Pine all the way down through the Mojave Desert to the Cascades in Silmar. Okay. Uh, and you, you, show, you show those gates in your film, if I remember, correct? Those skinny gates? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, th- I thought I remembered that. That's um, where I, yeah, I, I met up with a guy, uh, with one of the Paiute people there. To oh, talk. oh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, Native Americans? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, d- I want to ask you about that. Let me, let me ask you first, though, about parkland. How much of the, the aqueduct goes through, does any of it go through national or state parklands? It's all city of Los Angeles land now that they bought it up? No, not okay. quite. Um, some, at some points in the Mojave Desert, it's uh, Bureau of Land Management. Um, and they just have an easement. And then it, it also goes a little bit through the Inyo National Forest, I believe, at some points. Okay. And then it also has part of it in the Mono Lake Scenic. Oh, man, I can't remember what it's called. The Mono Lake. Yeah, your film actually had some really... I mean, you know, when you're closer to the city of Los Angeles, it's very urban, obviously. But as you get, and it doesn't take you that long, as you get outside of the uh, metro areas, it, there's some really scenic shots that you have in your film there. Um, so that's why I, that's why I asked the question. Oh yeah, no. The, well, the Owens Valley is such a beautiful place. It's so it's got volcanic activity. It's got you know, it's high desert. So it's like a little bit green, especially during the spring. And it's just so beautiful. And it's like, uh, so you have the, the Eastern Sierra mountains on the East side, or I'm sorry, on the West side. And then you have death Valley 
on the east side. And then the, in between those two mountain ranges are, is the Owens Valley. And it just makes for some beautiful scenery. And that is thanks in, thanks in part to the fact that Los Angeles Department of Water and Power does own all of that land and they don't want to develop it. Oh, right. It's protected. Okay. So it's basically protected. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I got gotcha. you. Los Angeles. Did you, when you got to LA, did, were you looking for a film project or when you were just in LA, um, you know, in school, did it occur to you that this was a, a great story? Uh, I think it was when I found out about the aqueduct up at the Mono, Mono Lake Committee. Okay. Bookstore. Okay. You, and, you were talking about that on your camping trip. I got you. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And then, and, and like the reason that I made the film was because I told people about the aqueduct and nobody seemed to care. <laughs> That's interesting. Like, well, I'm going to make people care. How do I make people care? Uh, make a movie about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an effective way to do it. Yeah. So so you follow the aqueduct for 338 miles, but it's not actually a blaze trail. You mentioned there's some roads that travel along it, obviously, because they need to do maintenance on it. Um, yeah. I mean, was it hard to find your way? I guess not, because you're looking at an aqueduct the whole time, but sometimes it goes underground, right? Yeah, yeah. I got lost a couple times. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. I could see that. Um, what what were the hardest sections to follow it? Closer to town, probably. Uh, the hardest sections to follow were probably um, in the desert. Sometimes because there were also in the desert. There's two aqueducts. So there's a first LA aqueduct and there's a second LA aqueduct. Hmm. And they run parallel for most of the time. But at points, I would lose one or lose the other. And then I would just be like, well, I'm on a road and hopefully at some point I will see the aqueduct again. And I would just have to trust that it was like under my feet. Okay. <laughs> now, now why two aqueducts? I mean, is they serve in different parts of the city or what's the purpose of that? No, it was to, it was to, it was to, um, up the, they, there are two aqueducts because the first aqueduct was built in 1913. Ah, uh, I gotcha. And we outgrew that supply. So we went more north to the Mono Basin, took water from there. We outgrew that supply. We decided we needed a second aqueduct to increase the capacity of the first aqueduct so we could bring more water. <laughs> That's kind of scary, right? Because how much water is out there that you can suck? Uh, I mean, there's a point where it runs out. Right, and yeah. there have been a lot of lawsuits about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did know that, actually, from my water treatment days. Yeah. Um, what, what percent of the, the route that you hiked is on actual, like, trail trail, like a hiker would consider trail? And I, I noticed you were hiking some kind of dirt roads there, or even paved roads, too. Can you, can I, can you speak to that? Yeah, I would say it's probably about 0% trail. Wow, that was a lot less than I was expecting. Maybe not 0%, I'm sorry, because there, there's a lot of the places, so in the Mojave Desert, the aqueduct is in BLM land, right? So, okay, yep. So, it's like, BLM land is notoriously a place where um, off-road vehicles love to go, and so a lot of the trails that I took out there were, were off-road vehicle trails, um, so they were, like, a little bit more dicey than just your regular service road because they were, you know, they would have jumps in them and steep random parts. And like, <laughs> um, you know, did, did, did you run into some four wheelers while you're uh, walking? And what oh, was that? Ex yeah. What was that experience like, by the way? What? Like just walking through the desert or what with the four wheeler? People? Yeah. Running into the four wheeler people. 
Oh, okay. I have a great story about that. No, oh, okay. let's hear that one. I can't wait to hear this one. That could go in a lot of directions. At, <laughs> at, uh, at one point, there, there's this um, gas station in the middle of the Mojave Desert called the Jawbone Canyon Store. And it's near Jawbone Canyon, which is also right off the aqueduct. Huge uh, off-road vehicle parks there where they have like jumps and like all of this dirt track and like whatever. And so Jonathan and I hung out at the Jawbone Canyon store for a while. We were waiting for the sun to get a little less brutal. And so we were talking to the guy that worked there, Nate, for a really long time. And so we, we got like a kind of a friendship going on with Nate. And so uh, that night I went, I went back out into the aqueduct land and um, I was way, way out in aqueduct land, like very, very far from any civilization, uh, like a couple of days after that. And I almost, I almost ran out of water. Ooh. I was a little freaked out because, you know, we, when we were out there, we cached water. Um, and the girl that I was relying on to cache water for me was was not familiar with caching water. And oh. so sometimes it would be hard to find the water caches. Now, were, uh, you, were you burying the water caches? Um, you know, I think most listeners are familiar with the caching system, but were they just out in the open? How did that work? And what if you yeah. showed up and it wasn't there or you couldn't find it? They were out in the open. They were out in the open. And there, there was one time where we didn't find it. Um, and that was, uh, luckily we were really close to the town of Mojave so we could just scoot on in. But that was a really horrific experience. <laughs> now, were, were you working off a of, uh, GPS coordinates to find them or how did you, how did you know where to get them? Well, okay. So at first we were not, at first I was relying on this woman to, um, relay the information to me. Okay. <laughs> this was a mistake because for the first week she would come to me and I'd be like, okay, where's the water cache? She'd be like, oh, it's next to a bush. And I'm like, do you see this? Is, there's a lot of bushes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just a few. <laughs> Not very many at all. <laughs> so so then what we ended up having to do um, was that I would, when she would come up to bring the water caches and to cache the water and, and to resupply me with food, I would then ride in the car with her and we would cache the water together and I would mark the GPS coordinates. Oh, okay, there you and go. And then take me back to where I was. Okay. Um, so that's what we ended up having to do because I did miss a water cache and it, and it was it could have been quite catastrophic had we not been uh, right outside the town of Mojave. You know, one of the questions I was going to ask you was your worst day on the trail. I mean, was that, was that your worst? That had to be just horror. I can't imagine you're dying of thirst and you roll up and there's no, you can't find the cash. Yeah. It, it was pretty. Yeah. It was pretty bad. <laughs> I can only imagine. Was that your toughest day out there? I think actually, though, my toughest day was the first time that they left me alone. Oh, that's in your film. That was you were in tears at that moment, weren't you? Yeah, it was. I know, and and I feel so like such a stupid. I feel a little stupid because it was like that part of the trail what turned out to be the most magical part. So looking back on it, I was like, "Don't cry. It's all going to be fine." But <laughs> but at that at the time, I really was feeling. Uh, really 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 scared because Angela was leaving me and everybody was leaving me and I was on my own and I was going to be sleeping outside by myself in the middle of places I didn't know anything about and I didn't know anybody and I couldn't call anybody because like my cell phone service was not great and um 
yeah, it was just really freaky. But then that night was also the night that I came across my first hiker hostel. Oh, okay. That's so you're up on the PCT. So th- this was this was the first time you'd ever been in the woods by yourself, like alone. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that is an experience, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was, it, until someone does it, it's hard to kind of put words on it. Yeah. It was, it was would you like, agree? Would you agree with that statement? Yeah. It it was definitely, you know, because whenever you're sleeping, you're not conscious, so you're like anything could happen in that moment. Yeah, you kind of go into a hyper alert mode. I'm, you know, yeah. I I know what you're saying. I get it. But then it gets easier every day after that. So, yeah, but then then you run into through hikers on the PCT, which yeah. I'm di- I, which I really want you to talk about. That must have been magical. It it was so magical and like. So the first hiker hostel I came to, I actually didn't make it into the film because we didn't have time, but it was this hiker hostel called Casa de Luna. And, and <laughs> that was my favorite spot because as soon as you arrived at Casa de Luna, you had to put on a Hawaiian shirt <laughs> okay. and, uh, and you had to go pick your spot in the Manzanita forest. And so I went and picked my spot in the Manzanita forest. And there was just like a ton of PCT hikers there. And I just got to talk to them and it, it made me feel so much better because it's like these people, you know, they had been already doing this for something like two weeks. And so to hear that none of them had died, you know, it made me feel a lot better. <laughs> oh, you probably get all the energy too, right? From the, uh, I know the whole through hiker community brings a lot of energy with it. So that had to be, that had to be uplifting, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> It was very uplifting. It was. And even like the story of the people at Casa de Luna, if you have a second, you should go check out their story because they've just been trail angels for, I don't even know how many years, a long time they've been trailing and they open up their house to through hikers. And it's just such a magical thing. That was not the first time you got trail magic on the, on the, uh, on the hike. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But, uh, let me ask you, cause I'm curious and I, I, I couldn't really decipher from your film how, Frequently, this happened, but you ran into PCT hikers multiple times. Um, where where does the aqueduct cross with the PCT? So the PCT is actually the aqueduct for about twenty miles. Okay. So um, the Department of Water and Power allowed the Pacific Crest Trail Association to put their trail right on the aqueduct. Um, like I said, for about twenty miles, and they used to actually offer water from the aqueduct as well, but they had to stop that. Is, uh, is that because of liability? I don't know exactly why they stopped it. I feel like a lot of the things that LADWP does, if they have to stop something, they blame it on terrorism. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they kind of have a point, but yeah. I know, I, I, I know. I'm a chemical person, I'm sure. I'm sure you know all about that. Like what, I mean, I... But, but it's like you go through the Owen Valley and a lot of the aqueduct is open channel. So I'm like, if I were, t- you know. It wouldn't it wouldn't be that hard is what you're saying. It wouldn't be that hard, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully no terrorists are listening right now. No, 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 no. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they stopped that. Um, they didn't, so they didn't allow people to take water out of the aqueduct anymore. Wow. So, but um, there, there were parts where it was leaking because I remember you in the film like being so grateful that the pipe was leaking and you could actually get water because and you know i think you've alluded to this but we should talk about the fact that um a lot of the area that you're hiking through is extremely dry especially now that the aqueduct is sucking all the water right uh yeah i mean 
for the most part, you know, because the, the aqueduct travels about 120 miles through the southwestern Mojave Desert. Uh, so that part is all very, very dry. But then you get up into the high desert as you go up in elevation. And uh, the groundwater reserves there are, are much more shallow. And oh, so okay. there's, a lot of, there's a lot more green there. But it's, not, it's definitely not as green as it used to be. Um, and that's why I appreciated the, the Paiute perspective so much is because they have such a, a good memory of what, what the valley looked like before Los Angeles was there. Yeah, so those those are the Native Americans that um, still have some parcels of land around the aqueduct, right? On reservations, yeah. So Samantha, during your hike, you interview a number of people that work not just for the city of of Los Angeles Water Department. You also talk to some ranchers, some townspeople. You talk to the Native Americans, which we were just uh, discussing. Um, I'm very curious to ask you. Like, there's a lot of different insight probably on the whole water project. Um, what, what did each of these different stakeholders, what was their opinion of your hike? So let's just start with the rancher, Mark Lacey. I think he was more concerned, like he struck me as somebody that was a little bit more chivalrous. Mm -hmm. Like he, uh, put my backpack on for me at one point. (laughs) (laughs) And like, he he was like, I can't believe you're doing this. You're carrying all of this. Just, he's like, this is he, he was like a little bit more concerned about me as a woman being alone in the wilderness. Okay. Um, and then uh, the townspeople like uh, Mary Roper and Nancy Masters, who were the two women I spoke with about the Owens Valley committee, they were just like super excited and they're just two really, really strong women. And so I think it didn't really phase them at all that I was doing what I was doing. Um, I think they were just super excited about it. Um, and let's see. Well, what about the Native American uh, guy that you interviewed? What did he What did he think about you hiking the aqueduct? I don't know. I feel they they were like Sage and Alan. I think were both impressed that I was doing it, mm-hmm. but like I I can't get I don't know. I, I would think that most everybody was impressed you were doing it. <laughs> I, I would just think that they would have different reasons for asking you why you're doing it. You know. Well. I think it was actually more interesting for me to meet all of those people than for all of those people to meet me. Does that make sense? Because it was interesting for me to ask all of these people what their relationship with water was and to get all of the different answers, um, but also realize how similar it all was. And it all boiled down to the fact that everybody felt like water was very important. And I feel like if everyone were to just think of water like that, rather than, I don't know what I'm getting at. No, I think I think I know what you're saying. You're saying it was it's really not about the hike, it's about the water. And that's what brought all these different groups together, right? Right. And I don't I don't think that they like me, okay, so me hiking it was just basically somebody on my someone somebody on the Amazon um on the Amazon page said it best in their review where they were like the hike was obviously a stunt, but it was a stunt that was successful because it got people's attention, <laughs> right? It was like, the, so this film wasn't about the hike per se. It was more so about the water. And the, I was just using the hike as a vehicle to get people's attention, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would definitely agree that it, it was um, about the water, but I mean, I, I never looked at it as a stunt. I mean, it, I looked at it as a, 
you were curious about something and you wanted to meet the various stakeholders on the on the walk. And what we haven't talked about yet was the city of Los Angeles people, which your interactions with them were the ones that impressed me the most. They, um, and you, I mean, I'll let you talk to that, right? It seemed like you didn't have any problems getting interviews. You had some trail magic from city of Los Angeles workers. I mean, there's so much you can say in that department. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the city of Los Angeles department of water and power, um, they were very, open about being interviewed um, to a certain point. I mean, the, the one interview that was probably the most difficult was um, Jim Yonata. Okay, uh, wait, refresh, refresh my memory on that. Um, Jim Yonata was the, the aqueduct manager. Now he moved on to some other higher position. Okay. But at the time he was the manager of the aqueduct. And um, so he was the one that we interviewed at the Cascades. Was that, that, that's that real pretty section where all the water was coming down the, the hill, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. I gotcha. And uh, he was probably the most difficult one because uh, he was still, you know, he was still an employee of the city of Los Angeles. And so he had a PR person there that every question I would ask him, <laughs> the PR person would either... It, it was being watched. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. PR person would either be like, oh, you can't answer that, or you can't answer that, or you have to answer that like this, you know. Um, so that was an interesting experience to have. And then uh, uh, Fred Barker, he was retired at the time, and so he could speak a little more freely. Now, now which guy was uh, was was that guy? Um, he was the guy that was in front of the Mulholland Fountain. Um, he was like an older gentleman with like salt and pepper hair. Okay. He he spoke a lot about the history because he's like a more of a history buff of the aqueduct. Okay. So, yep, I remember that now. I got you. So I, former, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he was a former employee of the Department of Water and Power. And then you also got some trail magic too from a, a, a somebody that worked for the water department. Do you want to you want to tell that story? Yeah, and so that was an interesting one because so and, and the reason I didn't want to say trespass necessarily was because. The Hayway Reservoir is supposed to be open to the public, but Los Angeles Department of Water and Power have been like dragging their feet on having that be open to the public. And so that's why I didn't like, like, yes, there was a sign that said nobody was supposed to be there. (laughs) And I did climb a fence to go over into the, into the reservoir. Um, But I don't feel like I was trespassing. But but that was the point where you ran into the employee from the water department, and then he ended up what giving you his lunch, and uh, he did, he, yeah, didn't he do a few things for you? Yeah, he. So we climbed the fence, and we were walking along the service road towards the reservoir, and this DWP truck pulls up, and he's like, he was like, oh, um, hey, what are you girls doing here? And we were like, oh, you know, we're just like walking the aqueduct, you know, just hanging out. And he was like, um, there was a sign back there that said no trespassing. Did you see it? And we were like, oh, you know, but like our GPS says this is this is Bureau of Land Management land. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not a thing. Oh, we were like, oh okay. <laughs> we we're like, oh, okay. Well, well, we're just we're just gonna keep walking, and we'll be out of your hair in a second. And he was like, 
do you guys want chicken? Oh, is that a trick question? <laughs> and we were like, uh, yes. And so he's like, okay, stay right here. I'll, I'll go and get us some chicken. And so we sat down and we we're like, oh God, we're in trouble. He's going to arrest us. But then he comes back with a chicken. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And he's like, here's chicken, iced tea, some water. He's like, if you stay a little bit longer, he's like, I can drive you around the aqueduct so you don't have to walk. And um, we were like, oh, okay, that sounds great. Thanks. And so uh, when his shift was over, he was like, all right, get in the back of the truck. And so he drove us around the aqueduct or around the reservoir and was just telling us a little bit of history and like all that other stuff. And then he dropped us off on the other side and was like, okay, see you later. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. I, I mean, you were carrying all your own film equipment, by the way, because I distinctively remember this part of the film. Yeah. That had to be incredibly heavy. Do you want to talk about your gear for a second? Yeah. So I didn't weigh it before I left intentionally because I didn't want to psych myself out. But I weighed it when I got home, and my pack weighed 60 pounds. Yeah. I would expect that based on you had the tripod and you had a pretty nice camera there too. So um. yeah, yeah, and like all the food and the water, I would have to carry. Um, let's see, I was carrying nine liters of water at a time. Man, that's a lot. Yeah, so that was probably like the heaviest was the water, and then I had a solar setup to power all my gear. And now, did did you have you know a lot of the interviews that I I saw you do? Um, how many of them were spur of the moment and, and how many of them were, um, you know, planned in advance? Obviously some were planned in advance, but it, I would imagine some were not, right? Uh, let's see. Most of them were planned in advance. Okay. So it, it was like, it, it was like I would tell people like, hey, I'm going to be walking through Bishop on this day. Are you available for an interview? And what, what, what was your success ratio in, in getting an interview? Um, so my success rate with uh, interviews was 100%. Basically, wow. everyone asked for an interview. That's awesome. An interview, yeah. And I think it's because people are so willing to share the story because they want to make sure that a majority of the people hear it. Um, because their current, you know, it's, it's an ongoing fight, this whole struggle over water. And it will be an ongoing fight into the future indefinitely oh, so yeah if la keeps growing it's not it's not getting any better for sure yeah i mean i definitely you know samantha to put it out there like when i watch your film I, I could tell that um you know that you had a deep passion for what you were doing which yeah. i think which is one of the reasons i think the film is so good and which is why i reached out to you for the interview in the first place um and i mean one thing i wasn't clear on though does the city of los angeles own all the land or is there's i mean obviously you have some native american land in there too but are there any private parcels that it crosses mm, there's a little bit up in uh mono county at one point the aqueduct is actually the owens river okay so the mono extension feeds water from the mono basin down into the owens river and then the Owens River acts as the aqueduct and carries it to the skinny gates, right? So while the aqueduct, quote unquote, the aqueduct is the Owens River, um, it does pass through some private land. I'm, I'm amazed that the city of Los Angeles has not tried to buy that up. I'm sure they have. 
Yeah, they have. It's this, it's it's a particular guy. It's a particular ranch called the Arcularis Ranch. Okay. The city of Los Angeles owns a vast majority of Inyo County, and I think the Arcularis Ranch is only like a tiny, tiny part of it. Okay. So, so the sections that it shares, and I, we'll come back to the Pacific Crest Trail for a moment, because <laughs> honestly, as somebody that has thru-hiked myself that uh, loves the whole thru-hiker culture, um, I, I had no clue that the PCT was near the aqueduct at times. And um, the sections that the Pacific Crest Trail and the aqueduct share, are they, they, are they protected? Are they like nationally protected areas? I don't know. Okay. They must be, I don't, I'm not sure what kind of uh, protection status the Pacific Crest Trail Association has. Hmm, okay. Um, but the, I don't think so. I feel like where the Pacific Crest Trail shares space with the aqueduct, it's not like protected. Did, did you know when you set out that you were going to run into PCT through hikers? No. <laughs> was that like a, a huge like su- surprise and blessing at the same time? Yes. It was very much both of those things. I was very excited. I was like, look at all these people that are as dirty as I am. And as cool as you, too. That's the other thing. Yeah. Like, they're, not <laughs> with me. they're not looking at me like, oh, that girl is a weird girl. What is she doing out here? <laughs> well, I mean, they totally get it because one of them jumped on board with you, which I, maybe this yeah. is the time to talk about it. You want to talk about the guy that was hiking the PCT, and I guess he was behind his schedule, whatever it was, and decided, you know what? I'm just going to hike with Samantha on the Aqueduct Trail. Yeah, so the PCT, when, so the PCT shares with the aqueduct for about 20 miles and then it goes off into the Sierra Nevadas and then the aqueduct goes along the floor of the Sahara Desert whoa Mojave Desert <laughs> yeah so for Sahara might put you in another continent <laughs> right <laughs> it's all yeah. good though so so while all of the PCT hikers went up into the mountains I was trudging through the desert and it sucked but Lone Pine is a town that's like a stop off for the Pacific Crest Trail. So it's like a town where people go to refuel before they go back up into the Sierra. And so it was so funny because I was in Lone Pine. Um, I had met this guy back in the Mojave Desert and he was called Attila the Bun. <laughs> okay. Did he have like yeah. a bun on his head or what did that? Yeah, yeah. He had a bun on his head and he was like, and and he was the guy that had the blood blister on his foot that he was Oh yeah, about. that was kind of nasty. That was the ambulance scene, right? Do you want to talk <laughs> about that? That was pretty funny. Okay, so the ambulance scene, that was just okay, I don't know if you've heard of Hiker Town, but it's like a hiker hostel in the Mojave Desert, a PCT hiker hostel. And it's like the weirdest place I've ever. Been. It looked awesome, actually. <laughs> like it was just a bunch of sheds with storefronts. Yeah. Built them and you could like rent out the sheds if you wanted to um yeah but we didn't do that we just all like stayed in this one area and kind of huddled together for safety and warmth but they had like this outdoor shower okay (laughs) where you could like see the high it was very weird it was very weird anyway so for some reason they had an ambulance at the hiker hostel that they just like love to play with 
and so they would drive it around every once in a while. I mean, I, I could see the entertainment value there. I mean, you demonstrated in your film, right? I mean, that, that was that was actually one of my takeaway moments from your show, just to it give it to you. Other than the fact that L.A. does not have enough water. Right, and we never will, mm. but <laughs> never is enough. Uh, but yeah, so um, I had met him, Attila the Bun, back at, Hi- at, the, at Hypertown, and then uh, when I was in Lone Pine, I was like lo- looking at something in Lone Pine, and I was looking into a storefront, and I turned to my right, and there's Attila the Bun, and I'm like, yo, dude, how are you doing? That's awesome. Oh, I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, um, he was like, it sucks though because all the hotels are booked. And I was like, well, I have a campsite just up the road if you want to just come and sleep at my campsite. He's like, yeah, sure. And so he brings a bunch of his friends up to my campsite and we just camp out together for a couple of nights. That's how through hikers roll, as you yeah. found out, Samantha. And, and yeah. they gave you a trail name too, which I, I love. I, I laughed. When I heard what your trail name is, do you want to share that with the studio audience here? <laughs> a, a guy named uh, a guy named Tweeno gave me that trail name, and it was it's Aqueduct. That is classic. That is <laughs> that is the greatest trail name. I love it. It's so appropriate. He's a good, he 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 was a good guy. I liked him. I met him at Casa de Luna. Yeah. So that was the other thing I wanted to ask you. So you cross paths with the PCT and Bishop, and then. Um, Wait, now where is Casa de Luna? Casa de Luna is down in the Angeles National Forest. So are there three different times that the PCT and the aqueduct kind of cross? No. So the only time that the PCT literally crosses the aqueduct is in that one tiny section. Mm, okay. But you kept, you kept running into PCT through hikers. It's like they keep popping up all over the place. Right. It's because those towns are like the closest towns to the PCT for restocking. Mm. Even though, okay. like, that makes the PCT is, like, way up in the mountains, like, these are the only towns that are available. So they would have to hitch a ride on, like, back mountain roads. Like, and that's where the trail angels are really important in the Pacific Crest Trail um, culture is because trail angels, I don't know how it is on the Appalachian Trail, because you did the Appalachian Trail, right? Yes, correct. And the Appalachian Trail, it's like the trail actually goes into towns, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I know it's very different in the PCT. You've got to hike or hitch essentially a long distance into town, correct? Right, right. And so that's what they had to do. And so, like, I don't know. I'd be, it, I, I would like to – I want to do more of the Appalachian Trail. You know, that was on my list to ask you as a closing question. I, oh. We could hit it now or we could save it. No, but... no, no, no. We'll save it. We'll save okay, it. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, um, because it is addictive once you get started, no question. Um, I did want to ask you, though, because some of the areas, you're talking about the Mojave Desert, and I watched you in some of those areas that looked insanely hot. You got hammered with wind. Um, You know, a lot of thru-hikers probably listen to this podcast. I'm curious to get your, and even section hikers who are doing the same areas, um, what what was the toughest weather-wise in terms of heat, wind, sun, um, no water. Can you, can you speak to that? Yeah. And I, I think I, I learned, I learned from P- PCT hikers about the siesta idea. Yes, absolutely. That even happens on the East coast because of the humidity and the heat. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. You sleep totally. the hottest part of the day and then you hike in the cooler parts. Um, you might even night hike. If the conditions are right, you get a full moon, you might be out there night hiking. 
Yeah, it was. I mean, there were some nights where we did that. Um, it was a good time. Yeah. Uh, but yes. Uh, what, what was the worst though? Like, you know, what was it? Was it worse to get hammered by sun? By the I, I saw you were getting blown to hell at a couple times there with with dust and wind. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I, this experience made me realize how terrified I am of wind. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. We, we, we don't get that in the East as much because, you know, there's so many more trees, but I, I can totally respect what you're saying based on the train you were going through. There was so much wind and it yeah. would just blow you over. It didn't care. And, um, at one point, the aqueduct goes through a field of windmills and those things are extra terrifying because they sound like jets taking off. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when you're trying to sleep in a field of windmills, it's not going to work out so well. <laughs> you know, one thing we haven't really done, Samantha was kind of lay out the hike in general. So, um, you basically hike northbound and um, I, don't, I don't even know how many days it took you. I mean, I, I think you have it documented on your film, and I know it was a lot, but I don't remember exactly. I mean, I'm sure you remember exactly. How many days did it take you to hike it? Uh, 60. I went very slow. Okay. Went very, very slow. Slow but steady. Okay. That works. And um, were you aware of any other backpackers that had hiked the aqueduct before? At that time, no, there were no backpackers that hiked the whole aqueduct. Uh, there was one group called Walking Water that was uh, a group that was like a, a, a spiritual meditative group that was also hiking at the same time, except they were coming the opposite way. Hmm. And they were also doing it in increments. So th that first year in 2015, they walked from Mono Lake to Bishop, I think. And then the next year they did Bishop to Lone Pine. And then the next year they did Lone Pine to Los Angeles. So it was like, they did it in increments. Um, but have, I, have people reached out to you since that have hiked that, that you're aware of now? No, I, I'm not aware of anybody else that has done what I've done because it's not like, like, yes, the Owens Valley is very pretty, but the hike itself is not, like a lot of times you're hiking near the 395 highway. Okay. At times I was on the highway. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Road walking. Not, not the most fun thing. No, no, it's not. It's not. And then at other times, you know, it's like you're walking through because the city of Los Angeles does own the land, but they lease it to ranchers. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you're walking through cow fields and you find yourself in a, in a field with a bunch of bulls. You know, yeah, they can, they can be angry. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. But you know, would you would you agree with the statement that walking through a cow field is kind of cool? <laughs> I do agree with that statement. Yes, I agree with that statement. That walking through a cow field is kind of cool. It's so hard yeah. to explain because they look at you with the weirdest looks, and uh, but it's just it's it's just um, it's really relaxing. Actually, kind of. I don't. I wish I could explain it, but you know what I'm talking about. You're laughing, so you know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. I like cows a lot, actually. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed my cow hikes, and that would be oh, kind of yeah. specific to especially Virginia on the East Coast. But um, So did you take um, – one thing I wasn't clear on is – I mean, it looked like you did this in one straight journey, correct? I did, yeah. And so, I mean, I'm sure you 
yeah, I know. I mean, I know you went into town to resupply and stuff, but you know, how easy and how frequent were you able to go to town to take a break and get a shower and get food and that sort of thing? Hmm. So the first night, uh, I went to a hotel. <laughs> oh well, I know. I, I get it. Believe me, I get it. That was just because purely because we were walking still through the city of Los Angeles and camping would have been very strange. Oh, I, the reason I say I get it is because I saw that part in the film and it looked like you were still basically in L.A. Like, you know, I don't know where you would throw a tent up, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. Like it, it would. So then the next night was when we got into like the Angeles National Forest and it was a little bit more better. To, it was a little bit better to camp and stuff. Um, but so that... I went without a shower until Hiker Town, and then I went without a shower until, oh, God. I think it was, like, Big Pine. Was, was that the longest period of time you've ever not bathed? Yeah. I feel like, yeah. What, I mean, I is it, huh? is it Is it kind of cool to watch the black water roll off your body when you haven't bathed for, like, eight days? Oh, oh yeah, and and it's also cool because people want to sit next to you again after that. <laughs> That's and true. We stopped at the Manzanar uh, War Relocation Center in the Owens Valley, and the woman who worked there, she was a daughter of a woman I was interviewing later, <laughs> which I didn't know at the time. She's like, "Oh, you're going to be interviewing my mom tomorrow." And I was like, "Oh, really?" That that was completely random that that happened. Random. Wow. And she was like, yeah, well, why don't you go and eat your lunch so you don't have to go out in the heat and you can stay in our air conditioning? Why don't you go and eat our, eat your lunch in our break room? And that I was like, sounds really? like a fabulous like, idea. And then she came back and she was like, um, actually, I, I think you probably know this, but you're quite fragrant right now. Oh, and yeah. Well, that's going to happen. So, and we have some employees eating back there, so I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind eating your lunch in this other room that's not the place. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what happens on long-distance hikes. I, I laughed so hard. I was like, oh, my gosh. I, I'm just, I thank you so much for letting me sit in your air conditioning. I will sit wherever you want me to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's generous of them. Yeah. Hey, so uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, too, was about wildlife, because you had some wildlife in your film, uh, you know, some deer and things like that, and that's obviously going to be up north. Did you see a lot of critters when you were out there? Um, no, not really. Hmm. Okay. Um, I once had Sage, actually, Sage, the Paiute man, told me it's probably because I walk so heavily. No, like you, you pound your feet pretty good? Yeah, I, I, I'm a very loud walker. And so he's like, that's probably why you didn't see anybody. <laughs> that that oh. comes in handy in Alaska where there's bears. So take, yeah, take that to Alaska if you go there. True. Um, um yeah, and so, but I did see some deer. Yeah, they were in your film. I remember that. I, I think you had some cool birds. Um, I remember actually the one scene. I remember those birds just ripping the insects out of one of those lakes up in the mountains of of northern 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 oh, California. Yeah. In the Owens Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, the phalaropes. Hey, um, before I kind of ask you some specifics about the filming. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions of, for, I mean, if somebody's hearing this and they're inspired to go do your, your trip, any do's or don'ts? Oh, you're thinking, you're thinking hard on this one. 
I would, um, know where you're, know where to place water, especially in the desert. So, uh, cash water, know how to cash water. Mm -hmm. Um, be okay with not eating a lot. Okay. Is that because of the, the amount of food you have to carry or just the yeah. resupply issues? Yeah, the amount of food you have to carry with the resupply, yeah. It's like there there are places to resupply, but but they're kind of far. You far. know, Samantha, you clearly did not pick up enough City of Los Angeles workers for their free lunch is what happened there. <laughs> you know, I think, so there's aqueduct and reservoir keepers that drive the aqueduct every day. And I swear to God, they were probably paying bingo or something. <laughs> Where to see that girl again? Because That's they would slow down and look at me and be like, what is this person doing? And then just like slowly drive past me. But none of them would ever say anything. You know, um, uh, when Earl Schaefer, I don't know if you ever read Earl Schaefer's book, uh, Walking with Spring. But he hiked the Appalachian Trail in the, I guess it was like the 40s after World War II. But um, he basically went up a route that had a bunch of Forest Service guys that worked in fire towers. And they literally uh, communicated. Each one of them would talk to each other about, hey, there's this guy. He's hiking the Appalachian Trail. You know, he's coming your way. And so that almost kind of sounds like what you're talking about there. Yeah, I feel like it was. Yeah. Like is a source of entertainment for them maybe yeah well in, uh, uh, in in the case of the book if you ever read it a lot of them took pretty good care of them they would give them a place to stay and gave them food and and all that so as somebody that studied film samantha i'm very curious are there are there any documentary uh creators that you really particularly are inspired by well you know, I don't watch documentaries a lot, surprisingly. Really? And you made one? That's crazy. I can't believe that. I think it's because, well, I think it's because I get so jazzed about that. Like, the type of personality I have is I get so agitated when there's something that I'm being told and and it seems so glaringly obvious, the solution. Mm, okay. <laughs> Not explaining this correctly, but it's like nature documentaries. I have trouble watching nature documentaries because I'm just like I get so emotional, and so um and and, and so like like overly invested that I get like borderline obsessive. So I think that's why I don't watch a lot of like documentaries. Okay, that's that fair. But That's there's fair. one woman. There's one woman who I really like the work of. Her name is Andi Timiner, and she recently she did a her most recent uh, documentary is called um, Oh God I can't remember it right now. Let me look it up really quick. It was about the, the opioid crisis. Oh, oh I think I've seen that. That's really good, by the way. I know exactly what you're talking about. Coming clean. Yes, that was yeah. really good. Yeah, so, and she also did, um, like, she recently did a film, not a documentary film, but just, like, a, a narrative film about uh, Maplethorpe, and she also did, like, um, documentaries about punk bands in the, uh, the 80s. Well, wow, very very diverse topics there. Yeah, and she's kind of like a woman where I, I kind of look up to her because she is so diverse, and she just seems... 
She's so driven. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be. That's you know, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because to to pull off what you did takes a ton of work, right? I can't imagine going through all the 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 footage that you had and and trying to put a a, a final production together. Is there a, is there a scene that you're most proud of in your film? Yeah, I think the scene I'm most proud of in my film is probably the end part. Oh where... yeah, I love that. I was gonna save that for closing. Can we save that for the closing? Because I yeah, like, I agree, I totally agree with that. I think you're talking about a different end part. Oh, am I? You're not. Yeah. You're not talking about your kind of review. The review. Oh, you mean of all the things that can be done in the city of Los Angeles to save water? Oh, well, you definitely hit that. You're not talking about your public review with the townspeople. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm talking about the, the the scene at the end that's basically the conclusion that's like, here are the things that you can do. Yeah, that was actually, I mean, that was kind of the point of your whole film, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> I, I like that. That was my favorite part. I know that that had nothing to do with hiking. It, but... it, it wasn't lost on me. I got you. I mean, that was that was the whole mission, right? So I'm, I, I think that was well done. Yeah, and like there's there's a whole bunch of, even the city of Los Angeles now, I'm being told, is going to try to recycle all of their wastewater by 2040. Hmm. That's, that's, that's a little ways off. But still, I mean, you're doing it, right? It's like maybe eventually we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, a little different. Uh, you know, I live in Atlanta, right? So we get so much rain here. It's it's interesting. Different parts of the country deal with completely different issues. So um, it wasn't that I wasn't aware that this was happening because I used to be in the industry out there, but um, I don't think most people are. So are you, are you still in in water? No, I just I did that for the first six years of my life, and then I went to grad school and I got into technology. Completely oh. different world. Yeah. So for the listeners, you did the hike in 2015, correct? Yeah. And then it, when did it hit Amazon? I mean, because I got to imagine when it hit Amazon is when you really got noticed. Yeah, it hit Amazon in 2019. So wow. It, okay. It took a while. <laughs> so four years. Talk about the process of getting onto Amazon. And uh, I'm a yeah. I'm a Prime member, so I got it for free. And I don't know what I don't know what the non-free uh, cost is, but you, maybe you can talk to that. Um, I think it might be like two ninety nine. I can't remember. Oh, um, very reasonable. Good entertainment <laughs> for good entertainment for three bucks, right? Yeah. Um, but I actually finished the film in twenty seventeen. Um, oh, so it took you two years to edit that? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, because I had to work a day job. Well, hey, I'm with you. Yeah. Fund my filmmaking habit. Hey, I'm punching the clock like you, Samantha. I got there you. Go. I Let's got see, you. You know what I mean? You know what I'm, You know what? Like, I I will be surprised if this podcast comes out in the next year. Oh man, I got you in a week. It's it's okay. Christmas. It's you, Christmas you, vacation, you know, man. I got you. Know, we also have COVID times now. Yeah. Anything that, anyway. That's true. That's true. What do What do you use to edit? By the way, I'm I'm, I'm an Adobe. Uh, Elements guy, I'm just curious what you used to uh, do your editing. Yeah, this uh, this film was edited on Adobe Premiere. Oh, okay, you use Premiere. Okay, I got yeah. it. Wait, I said Elements. I meant Premiere. Excuse me. Oh. Okay. I don't know. Well, they have Audition, right? I don't know. Does Audition do audio editing? Uh, I don't know. I use Premiere for audio, though. So you and I are in complete sync on that one. <laughs> Hot tip for the listeners. <laughs> Maybe Adobe should uh, sponsor you. Yeah, maybe they should. Let's see them step up. What about your uh, your uh, graphics? Because I thought you did a good job with your graphics. Not always easy 
How did how did that play out? Um, I made those in After Effects, Adobe After Effects, and Adobe Illustrator. Man. So they were just simple. Um, like uh, I basically took the map <laughs> that I made in Google Maps, and I can't remember how I did this, but I translated it to an Adobe Illustrator file, and then <laughs> was able to like make a graphic out of it. Um, and that's just something fun I like to do. I like, like my day job is video editing. Like okay. that's where I earn my money. But um, graphics is always something that I've really had fun with. Uh, I've never really had the, the eye to necessarily be a designer. So that's kind of what has kept me from actually pursuing that as a career. But I really like doing it. Hey, for the record, I worked at CNN for a while too. So I got you on that. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, well, you know. It's Atlanta. That's where I live, so it's easy. All right, Samantha, I'm going to ask you some closing questions now. And we touched on this earlier, and I was trying to save it. I, we were trying to save a few things, actually. But um, I really like the way that you finished your movie when you hiked into a room with a bunch of local uh, crowd support for your hike. you got to tell me how that came down. Because I was very curious when I saw your film. It's like, all right, how did this whole thing come to be? So that was, um, that came to be through the magic of editing. Mm. <laughs> okay. No, so, okay. So the Mono Lake Committee was having a fundraiser that night. And what they do for their fundraiser every year is they have a fashion show where they have people create fashion. And this, this year's fashion show was based on Trail Chic. Oh. So, wow, I didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming. And so the fashion show was happening and my, the guy I interviewed, Santiago, he was like, you have to be in the fashion show. I'm like, no, Santiago, I just got off the trailer. He, he's like, no, you have to be in the fashion show. You have to do it. And I was like, oh man. Okay. So I was in the fashion show and that's how that happened. But I, I, I thought I was just like helping them raise money, but then everybody started doing a standing ovation and then I started crying. Yeah, you got pretty choked up there. I mean, that was that was honestly, in terms of editing, that was the perfect way to end that show. I well, know. well, that that and I'm not taking away from your message that you give later, but yeah, I love that part actually. No, it was good. It was good, and like I actually, it was funny because the first cut of the film, I didn't have that part in there. Hmm. One of the guys who was kind of like helping me out a little bit uh, with the story. He's like, well, wait, 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 where's the part where you were crying? Yeah. I mean, I took it out because it, I couldn't fit in the whole story about the fashion show and it was just taking too long. He's like, you don't have to tell them about the fashion show. You can just make it seem like it was for you. And I'm like, but that's not truthful. He's like, nobody's going to care. <laughs> you know, uh, it was awesome. I thought that was a great, uh, I completely agree with his uh, assessment on adding that. That was well done. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. Well done on the editing, then. So, um, backpacking. I, I, this is the other big question I have for you. You know, I it didn't. See, you'd obviously been camping, but it didn't sound like you had done a lot of long distance backpacking. I mean, have you done it since, or even just overnights? Yeah, I've done overnights for okay. sure. Okay. I'm actually getting more into bike packing. Yeah. Now. Yeah, sure. Because I'm, I'm preparing for another documentary that I'm going to be doing oh hot tip do you want to talk about that <laughs> well um 
Well, actually, yeah, I, I wanted to also tell you, I have been to Alaska. I have another documentary about Alaska. Is Alaska not awesome? Yeah. So we, uh, me and um, eight other people paddled the length of the Yukon River. Oh, you're going you're gonna to do the whole Yukon? No, we already did that. What? You already did it? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was great. Man, when, do, when do we get to talk about the Yukon? That's amazing. It was great. Hey, not to take away from your... Aqueduct hike. Don't get me wrong, but that's a totally There's different a experience. Film about it if you want to watch it. It's on Vimeo. Really? Um, yeah. Dude, hot, hot tip for the listeners. Give us more. It's called Yukon Calling. Really? Uh, yeah. And then, so this next one that I'm going to be working on is going to, I'm going to bike pack across the country and um, I'm going to visit drug rehabilitation centers okay. along the way that are that are doing drug rehabilitation in like an interesting way. Wow. Those are two completely different stories. Hey, so Yukon Calling though, you're killing me on Yukon Calling. I got to watch it. Is it on, is it on Amazon now? No, it's on Vimeo. So it's for free on Vimeo. Um, Man, because, you're giving the stuff away for free? Well, yeah. Cause I, you know, it's, it's hard to distribute things. Yes, that's true. That is accurate. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Because I don't think the listeners fully probably appreciate trying to get video out there, what it takes. And I've interviewed, as you know from when I first reached out to you, a few documentary people, but it's not simple. Distribution is the biggest issue, right? Yeah, and like the distributor I have now is really cool. Indie Rights, a very cool distribution company. They're super hands-off, right? Basically, they just um, set you up with a couple of different streaming platforms, but but they expect you to do all your own marketing and stuff like that. So that's been really difficult because I don't know how to do marketing. Um, so I've been flubbing it, but uh, just having it on Amazon, I think is a really powerful um, pull for people because I've had some friends uh, text me like for some friends that I went to school with, like grade school with being like, Oh my God, did you make a movie? Because it showed up in my, you might like, it. <laughs> isn't that awesome? That is cool. Isn't it? Like, I did make a movie. You should watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah. But, that, that impresses mom and dad too. Right. Like, Oh my God, not, your, your I, movie is showing up on my TV. Yeah. They get, they got super excited about that. Yeah. But also, you know, I have mixed feelings about Amazon, like most of America, because you're like, Ugh. But they do a lot of good for independent filmmakers because a lot of independent filmmakers would not get seen if it weren't for that kind of streaming platform. Agreed. Then, you know, there's always the downsides of... Hey, 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 on that topic, quick plug for Mountaineer Books for the listeners that don't know them. And full disclosure, they published my, my book, Hiking and Backpacking with Dogs in Georgia, South Carolina. But um, a lot of that money does go to Back to the Trails and... Man, you can't do this stuff without distribution. It's huge because they've got all the networks for getting you know your book or your movie or whatever out there. Distribution mm -hmm. is highly underrated in terms of the value. Is is your point and mine? I guess is my statement. Yeah, this is true. Distribution is very important, but it's also very hard. It is hard. You're right, and they take all the money too, right? I don't know. I don't know what their rev share is on that, but it's brutal. They take a lot of it. They do. But so, it's okay. You you pay for it, but you get noticed. I did not go into documentary filmmaking to make money. Let's just say that. Yeah. I knew 
not a thing. <laughs> Sounds like you pretty you got a pretty good good thing going here. I'm dying to see your Yukon calling, so uh, I'll be looking for that one. It's a good one. It's it's a uh, it's more of a just a I call it a visual poem. Hmm. Hey, did you ever read Yukon Wild? While we're on this uh, topic, no. It's uh, it was a book in the '70s about four women that that uh, floated the Yukon. Um, so it's, I'm sure it's out of print. You're gonna have to really dig for it, probably on a used book uh, Amazon thing. But got back to Amazon; they own the world. Um, but yeah, if if you did the Yukon, you would probably love that book. Yukon Wild, it was called. Yeah, it's called Yukon Wild. I can't remember the name of the author, um, but there were four women that uh, floated. I can't remember how far it was, but it was it was pretty significant. It wasn't. It wasn't just like a three-day trip. It was, you know, multi-week. So yeah, uh, the whole Yukon River. We did it in we. It took us uh, sixty days. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think that's what they did. You, now, while we're on this, briefly, you probably hit some Native American villages. You were, uh, I'm sure, dealing with grizzly bear. Do you want to just give some highlights of? Yeah, this is a great time for you to pitch your your latest documentary. Um. Let's see. We didn't see any grizzlies because I think we our crowd was too big and we were too loud. Hmm. Um, we did see a lot of moose, though. Yeah? Okay. They're but, cool. Um, yeah, I like moose. You don't get a lot of those in the desert of L.A., do you? Nope. Not a lot of moose there. Uh, the Norwegians that we were leapfrogging with, there was a group of three Norwegians that was also doing the river at the same time. We kept leapfrogging with them. Hmm. They almost got eaten by wolves. Wow. Okay. Yeah, man, they're used to it, man. They got it up in Norway. <laughs> yeah, they were like, we just had our gun. Nah, and we just it happens there. all the time. We deal with it. Just a, a wild wolf chasing us. Yeah, I mean that's, I mean that's a whole experience in and of itself. Like paddling a river. Yeah. Hiking. It's kind of relaxing, actually. More it so. Is. It is. It's floating a river. Mm-hmm. Just to remind the listeners, The Last Straw is your film available on Amazon for free. Wow. It's not, uh, well, that's through my distribution company. I can't take credit for that. Oh, okay. I got you. Um, it's free to Prime members, but two ninety nine for you know the common folk, correct? I actually don't know. I was going to look that up. And you probably get, what, three cents on that sale? I don't even know. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. I don't even know. You know, I, I really, I love the Yukon calling idea here. This is, that was brilliant. Um, just any final thoughts for the listeners on, uh, embracing life, getting past COVID, getting your vaccination, moving on. Um, so, um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel strongly that people should get their vaccination so we can all move on. (laughs) Yeah. Is everyone done talking about COVID? No, it's not like it, it, I. I'm not done. I mean, I'm. I uprooted my whole life because of COVID for the time being. So it's like, and I feel like a lot of people have done that. We've all just had to like really kind of uh, check in with ourselves and and pri- reprioritize our lives in terms of what is the most important thing. And I feel like people are really coming to the realization that the outdoors and outdoor spaces and, and being outdoors with other people is so important. I, t- I totally agree with that statement. Are you, are you going to go back to LA by the way? After- uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I live in a, I live in an eco village out there, so I have to go back. Um, okay. 
I mean, the only way that I've heard so many people survive this, this pandemic is by being in outdoor spaces with other people. And I'm like, okay, people. So what would happen if all of those outdoor spaces were gone? Where would we go during our pandemics? Yeah. It would go, we would have nowhere to go. So we need to protect them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just glad. I thank God that we have outdoor spaces to enjoy during this pandemic. Cause uh, I mean, I'm, I lose my mind being in the house all the time. So I'm very ha- happy to have that opportunity. Me too. Me too. But, uh, <laughs> I really appreciate the time. I'm really excited to look at your Yukon uh, Calling uh, video. I'm going to check that out tonight yeah, a bit. Go to Vimeo and just type in Yukon Calling and it should pop up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, kudos to you for your hike on the uh, on the uh, LA Aqueduct and for uh, basically pioneering a new route. And, uh, you know, certainly wish you the best. I'll, I'll definitely be trying to check out what you do next because it doesn't sound like you're done. No, not done. <laughs> awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, absolutely, Samantha. Thank you for uh, being on the show. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app, and give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show is provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of Into Backpacking and is copyrighted by Into Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at intobackpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com. <laughs>